You're listening to Closer Look. Here's Billy Branham. Well, thank you so much, Anne, for joining us. Why is it that opioid addiction is hitting rural areas so hard? Well, this is an issue that has really touched all corners of the country, um, urban and rural. We do see a particular impact in rural America for a number of reasons. One, in many communities, the jobs in rural areas uh, rely heavily on physical labor. These are places that we see uh, farming, mining, manufacturing, and with that physical labor comes a high risk of injury. And I think often when folks become injured, uh, they might keep working because they need to get a paycheck, and they may also not have access to modern health care, which might offer an alternative to taking a prescription pain medication. In addition, in many rural communities, we have a true lack of access to adequate health care services, including, importantly, mental health and addiction services. And then lastly, I think in a lot of rural communities, these can be places of isolation. And if the economic conditions are difficult, we can see hopelessness and despair. Why is the USDA getting involved? At the Department of Agriculture, you know, our core mission here is really to uh, increase prosperity in rural America. So as we look at our focus on quality of life and economic opportunity in these places, it is very hard to talk about building strong rural communities without tackling this issue. We have a number of resources really to help rural communities address some of these deeper, more systemic and long-term issues that make these places, make these towns vulnerable to the opioid crisis in the first place. What specific things are you guys doing at the USDA to go after the opioid addiction? We're attacking this on a number of fronts. Um, First, we have, as I mentioned, a number of resources um, that can be used to help communities with prevention, treatment, and recovery. We were quite blessed in the uh, spending bill that Congress just passed. Uh, We got an increase in several of these programs, the funding for several of these programs. So we are wasting no time in putting these resources to work. Um, We have also created a web page on our website where communities can learn more about what we have available. And um, importantly, they can also find information about some of the other agencies that we work with. We are also spending a lot of time looking at best practices. You know, no two rural communities are the same, but many are similarly situated. And so for those that have been working in this fight, longer than others. I think it's helpful for communities to see what's working on the ground in one town and see if it might be something that they can adopt. And we're building a feature on our website called What's Working in Your Town, where people are able to go and see what's already making a difference in communities. In addition, along that best practices theme, we are holding a number of roundtables around the country where we've been having some conversations about the unique needs of rural communities in this fight and what is already working on the ground. We held an event in Pennsylvania and we had one in Utah. And when we've completed these events, we're looking to roll up a lot of what we've learned into a community toolkit that will be helpful to leaders going forward. Are there harder hit areas by this epidemic or is this state by state? Is it look the same in the Midwest as it does out West or down South? What you tend to see is that uh, the challenge of overcoming this issue certainly looks different in one place than another. For example, in an area of the country that has uh, 
access to high-speed internet, delivering something like uh, treatment services or ongoing recovery support is much easier than, say, I mentioned having been in Utah. Out there, the counties are extremely large, and broadband connection is a real challenge. And so the type of solution is going to look different in a community in Utah than it would, say, in Indiana. I read some statistics on opioids and overdoses, and in 2016, 63,000 Americans died from drug overdoses. How has opioids affected that number, do you believe? The significant majority of that staggering number are as a result of the misuse of opioids. The numbers are overwhelming, and I think that Some will even go further and say that that's more people that have died in a car accident or have died from a gun-related homicide. Stepping back from the numbers, though, I think it's also important to recognize that each individual life matters, that every single person accounted for in that 64,000 number was, you know, somebody's mother, someone's father, someone's brother, someone's sister. And when we think about our faith and how God values every life that he has created, I think it's important just to look at this from the impact of an individual. You hear a lot of the blaming being thrown out. It's the doctor's fault. It's the drug pusher's fault. It's, you know, rural America's fault. Who is to blame and how can we stop this from continuing? One of the things that I have found in my own work, both here at USDA as well as working in this issue in a volunteer capacity in ministry, is that, yes, there are often a lot of factors at play and it will look different depending on the community or depending on the family. That's one of the things that is so overwhelming about this issue in particular is that it has affected you know, big cities and small towns, it's affected people of wealth and people of, you know, that have grown up in poverty. But I think when you peel back the layers, oftentimes what is at the core of some of this is a breakdown in relationship and people living in isolation. That's why I get very excited about the role that the faith-based community and churches can play, because that is a strength that we can bring, a unique strength that we can bring uh, to this battle. Is there a current program that works with the faith-based community right now? There are a number of resources uh, here at the Department of Agriculture. We have a uh, faith-based team. They have been coming with us to the rural roundtables that I mentioned, and we've been holding uh, faith-based conversations after those roundtables have been conducted to have a more intimate conversation about, you know, where different church leaders are in helping their congregation and their community work through this issue to lift up best practices and also to help them be more aware of some of the resources that we have. Seems like those roundtables are set up more for information gathering, but have you found anything yet that you've implemented? Any success stories that maybe you can share? Referencing that toolkit that I mentioned earlier, we have certainly already found some practices that we will, um, some examples of success that we will most certainly be including. Uh, in Pennsylvania, for example, we learned about a program called Goal that is really a training curriculum for congregations in helping them address this issue and just looking at the challenge of stigma that often comes with this. In my own uh, ministry work, have also seen some very simple but very successful examples of this in communities that have been deeply impacted by this issue. In Indiana, the small town of Austin, 
It's a community about 45 minutes north of Louisville, Kentucky, in South Central Indiana. And there's a woman there named Becky Thomas who several years ago uh, with another individual in the community really just noticed that there were people in their town that were living in isolation and were struggling with addiction. And she said that, you know, she picked up a crock pot and she and a friend decided that they would begin just a weekly dinner, um, keeping it very simple. And that dinner has now grown to over 200 people and it's called Food for Our Souls. And People come for a meal, but what they're leaving with is really that nourishment, encouragement, and connection to healthy community that is so important to helping people break the chains of addiction. And some states do have task forces or programs. I spoke with a group in Ohio that is doing something on the ground, trying to meet people where they are, trying to get them out of the addiction, trying to find them treatment. Do you work with those programs as well? Yes, we are. We're absolutely connected to those state leaders. And oftentimes, uh, you mentioned Ohio. I was just in Utah and similar scenario there where the attorney general has convened a task force and has really brought together all of the different leaders, making sure that our resources are being coordinated and that there's good communication between the different activities that are taking place. This really is a puzzle that different sectors have a piece to bring to in in the solution. Are you finding that more departments are jumping in and saying we can do our part by doing XYZ? Yes. I have to say that's one of the things that I do find a real um, spot of hope or a silver lining in what's otherwise a very dark issue in that I see a renaissance or a rebirth, if you will, in communities. It may have taken a tragedy of drugs to bring leaders together, but they are now at the table and looking at other things that are going on in the community that need to be addressed. There may be some listening who think about this as kind of an abstract situation. They're not personally involved in this. How can we all help? You know, it can become overwhelming when you think, wow, how can I as an individual make a difference in this. But, you know, I mentioned the story of Becky Thomas, and I have seen other examples. I've seen other Beckys, if you will, in community. Oftentimes, this comes down to what each of us can do in our own relationships to help break isolation, to reach out to those that we see struggling, and to help them to see that they are not alone. With respect to, you know, what the church and the faith-based community can do, First, churches just opening up their doors for work in this area, whether it's starting a faith-based recovery group like Celebrate Recovery, or maybe even more simple, creating a safe place uh, for impacted families just to gather for support. Looking at what some of the needs of families and individuals are who are rebuilding their lives. Oftentimes, people who are especially in a rural area who need to get to treatment might need help with transportation, uh, with food, with clothing, assistance with childcare so they can attend a support group. I've visited Portsmouth, Ohio, which is a community that's been very hard hit but has some great success stories to share. There, there's a number of churches that host a baby shower for pregnant moms that are in recovery in the community. Um, I think there's also a role for all of us in increasing awareness, you know, providing education opportunities in a congregation so that we can help create understanding and encourage compassion for those that are seeking assistance. 
And then lastly, a lot of communities have activities that simply need to be amplified and supported. A great example is there is a national prescription drug take-back day. They hold two, the DEA sponsors two of these events each year. And these are places that have collection sites and communities where we simply can get unused medications out of our medicine cabinets and into proper disposal. And that's something that I think all of us have laying around in our houses, whether we had a procedure that we didn't end up needing all of the medication for or have a child with an old sports injury. It might sound like a very simple step, but statistics say that almost 50% of folks who struggle with addiction began from pills that they got from a family or a friend. And oftentimes, you know, that can become deadly. And so that's a very simple step, but something that all of us can be part of and, and again, lift up and amplify those activities at that community level is, is a great step. And the old rule of just flush the old medicine doesn't apply anymore, right? Not with what we're talking about here. And the DEA has helped to make it easy for us to dispose of these medications, again, by helping organize these collection sites. Is there anything else that you can add that we haven't covered? The only other thing that I would touch on is uh, just the importance of the faith community as I see it in rural America. Again, we've talked about the pieces of a big puzzle that it's going to take to turn the tide on this issue. But in many rural areas, churches remain such a foundational asset in the town you know, churches are community. In my opinion, churches and community are a very powerful antidote. God created us for relationship, and I think that when a person is living and loving in healthy community, um, their entire world can change. It seems like through the work of the Department of Agriculture, along with the state level, there might be some hope in, in tackling this issue. I find great hope in the work that has been done. And we at the Department of Agriculture, as champions for rural America, are ready to come alongside any uh, faith-based uh, leader, any church that wants to step into this. And so I hope that folks will go to our webpage. And that's USDA.org? Uh, USDA.gov slash topics slash opioids. There's a place that you can sign up and make contact with us, and we would love to, to partner with you in this effort. This has been K-Love Closer Look. Find us online at klove.com.